Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. iTunes store, and you can get each and every one 
of the podcast as they become available. Now, if you're listening live, the chat room is open. You can join us in the chat room. We can ask questions of my guests from the chat room, and um, and it's great when you do. But uh, if you're not, and this is a podcast, well, then you will hear the questions that others have asked. I'm going to list some of the upcoming guests, and then uh, we're going to get right into today's conversation. Um, I'm not going to tell you who's coming up next. I'm going to tell you who's coming up in March and maybe April. John Mendoza, the comedian actor, is coming back. Michael Hoffman is an editor, a director. Uh, he will be joining us. Reed Martin will be returning. He is the author of The Real Truth. Nick Mancuso is the author, writer, director. I'm sorry, actor, writer, director, and author. Uh, he's going to be coming back with part four or part five. I'm not really sure what number we're at there. Julie Rich- Richardson helped produce uh, Collateral, the movie with Tom Cruise. She's a producer. She's going to be here. Eric Morris, the acting coach. He wrote No Acting, Please got about five books he'll be here john paul rice is a producer he's going to be here eduardo ballerini actor from no god no master from dinner rush and many more movies is going to be here rocky lang an author producer director patrick giraldi post-production sound supervisor and re-recording mixer and uva bull uh producer and director of many new many many movies will be here and that is march i guess i'll save april for another time but that's the lineup currently for march there are many still remaining in the month of february i've announced them in prior shows you're going to want to check them out because there are some really cool people coming on up. And uh, now it's time for me to turn my attention to um, Mr. Bob Hercules. He's an award-winning producer-director, and he's the co-owner of Media Process Group, a Chicago-based production company. Uh, he, he has produced uh, numerous documentaries. Uh, his newest documentary is called Radical Disciple, the story of Father Fligger. It chronicles an iconoclastic priest um, who... Um, whose confrontational methods to fight racism has put him in direct conflict with the Catholic hierarchy. It premiered at the 2009 Black Harvest Film Festival. He um, he had a 2007 film, Senator Obama Goes to Africa, which was released on DVD uh, by First Run Features and has run on television stations in over 100 companies. In 2006, a documentary, Forgiving Dr. Mengele, tells a remarkable story of an Auschwitz survivor and former Mengele twin, uh, Ava Moses Core, whose uh, decision to forgive for the perpetrators as an act of self-healing sparked a firestorm of criticism. He won the special jury prize at at the 2006 uh, Slam Dance Film Festival and the Crystal Heart Award at the 2006 Heartland Film Festival. It's currently in home video release from First Run Features. He's a man of many talents. He wears many hats, and uh, he's here to talk to us about documentary filmmaking. Uh, and and what that entails. How are you doing today, Bob? Uh, very good, Rex. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so glad that you're here. And you and uh, I know that the, uh, the my stammering uh, <laughs> intro of you may not be as nearly as as effective as I would hope it to be. But I, I'm fascinated by what you do, and I'm fascinated by the work that you've done. And documentary filmmaking is a special. Craft. It's a special art. It's a special consideration, and and probably there's as many different kinds of thoughts about what it uh, what it is supposed to be as there are documentary filmmakers. Um, how did you get involved in uh, documentary filmmaking? I think uh, my entree to it was I've I've always been interested in political issues and social activism. I've also been a filmmaker my whole life. So it was sort of a logical, you know, combination of my filmmaking skills with my uh, the idea of trying to get a message across. And documentary seemed like the 
the best avenue for that. I started off in documentaries probably about 25 years ago when they really weren't that popular. I'm happy to say that they're much more popular nowadays. But when I first started in documentaries, uh, you know, a lot of people had a mis uh, had a misguided impression that they were sort of educational and boring or whatever. But I think we've seen over the years the documentaries are very exciting. They're dramatic. They have a lot of the, the qualities that feature films have. They have tension, drama, character, story. So um, I, I think it's a great time to be making documentaries now because they're so widely accepted. If you go to any film festival now, probably sometimes half the films are documentaries. There's a lot more venues on TV for showing documentaries. So it's kind of a, in some ways a golden age for uh, documentary filmmakers. But I will say I started out you know, a long time ago making documentaries when, when it was a much tougher sell, basically. Well, given given all of that, I mean, because you, you you said quite a bit about how um, documentaries are, are 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 coming into acceptance in our culture, you know, in, in this day and age, and how how it differs from years back. Um, has the considerations not not the content considerations, but the consideration of documentary film changed in and of itself? I mean, I I seem to think back to documentaries. Um, kind of like your description, you know, they're educational. They they necessarily weren't that dramatic or that fun. Um, you know, I, I look back, say, to my high school or college years, and um, and now, I mean, there's some that are just absolutely riveting. And and it seems like the structure, it seems like the voice, it seems like the perspective has has altered. Um, has I'm sorry to make this such a long question, but has has a documentary film changed as it, it was it at one time supposed to be quote more objective as if such a thing were possible and today now it's it's okay to to have a viewpoint as a filmmaker and say i am documenting i'm not documenting it as it occurs but i'm making a statement as it occurs. well yeah i mean there's probably some truth to that. i think when documentaries first i mean documentaries have been around for a long time but uh there was probably more of a slant towards journalism it yes, with the yes. uh, with the original documentaries were as you alluded to uh more of a uh, an attempt at least to try to be quote unquote objective although i agree with you there there's probably no such thing as true objectivity but there's always been at the same time a strain of of uh a very point point of view type documentaries i mean think about uh the dylan documentary don't look back or things like that which which maybe don't have a point of view but they're definitely story and character driven some of the early films of the Maisley brothers and, and uh, stuff that happened in the early 60s, I think, started to set a course for what emerged as, uh, you know, a very popular form of documentary, which is more of a story-based documentary, which is what we see commonly when we go to film festivals or see on TV, that these are real story-based documentaries um, and, and very character-driven. And I think that's probably the trend that's common these days. Those are the ones that really get us uh, excited as an audience when we see them in a theater or see it on TV. Um, you know, there's a whole series on PBS called POV, which has been on the air for years, which, you know, it's an excellent show because it shows some of the best documentaries uh, made in the country. And uh, most of those films, frankly, are quite, you know, character-based, uh, story-based films. And uh, I think those are the ones that people, people kind of gravitate towards. They're really almost the... They're completely a breakaway from the old days of the quote-unquote educational documentary. These are very gritty, 
you know, um, very uh, uh, tough stories often, um, very pointed, very, uh, you know, often controversial. I mean, I made a film, as you mentioned, called Forgiving Dr. Mengele. And, it, you know, it's a very controversial film because it, re- it asks some very basic questions under probably the most extreme circumstances. A woman who was, who was tortured by Dr. Mengele at Auschwitz, she and her sister, and out of that, many years later, she came to the idea of forgiveness as a way of healing the pain and the scars of that, of that terrible experience, as a way of moving forward in her life. But the film really is then about what, what the controversy that that caused. So that would be, I, I would say, a, kind of a typical film of things being made these days, which are films that raise a lot of issues in our society and make, hopefully the goal is to make people think about things and, and, and spark discussions about these issues. I mean, forgiveness is a huge topic. I always tell people, who among us has not dealt with the issue of forgiveness at one point or another or many points in our lives? You know, you, you may come to a point of, do you forgive your father for what he did to you? Do you forgive your brother? Do you figure, you know, on and on. So it's a, it's a central issue. It's like a universal topic, I think. I think that's why the film has done so well. It's sold, for a documentary, it's sold extremely well. But also, I get emails about that film to this day, almost every day, because wow. it, it has touched people. It's, it's probably the most amazing filmmaking experience I've ever had in my life. Wow, and I want you to, I want you to be able to talk more about that. I, you know, I find it interesting in this day and age, um, you know, the, the claim is that fewer books are read now maybe than ever. I mean, and that might only be because we have a larger population that reads less than before, but that, you know, less than 10% of the books are picked up and finished. And, and, um, and you know, the interesting thing about documentaries is, is it's not, you know, a love story, a drama, a Shakespearean, you know, plot twist kind of thing necessarily i mean it certainly can be all those elements can be inside a document but you got to kind of like content i mean people have you have to think about some of the documentaries are you know uh, somebody here made one on beer for example you know in the manufacturing <laughs> process or somebody you know uh, goes to the auto industry i mean we i think we're beginning to understand that documentaries aren't just kind of like here's how this was made um here's how this you know and and was done and presenting it. It's not. It's not just that kind of learn by watching the process of something. I I recall when I was I, I must have been in junior high school when I saw Nanook of the North, which was a black and white silent you know a documentary on on a, on, a, on a, about Eskimos, uh, right? Oh, an Eskimo, and and how moved I was that at the end of the movie, at the end of this, there's the you know there's the a subtitler, there's a, sc- a scroll that comes by that says that he died shortly after the making of this movie, and mm. I was like, whoa, you know? Mm. I watched this guy, and I, I'm on a journey with him. His, you know, his wife is chewing his boots, and he's hunting for seal, and they're all having all these hardships, and then I learned that the, the guy passed, and I was like, mm. gosh. So it, for me, it was the first, I guess, experience at, at having a, um, a non-feature film kind of experience where I was I was I was I was riveted I was engaged and and then and then ultimately I was emotionally touched. So well, I guess it was a real long-winded back-ended question I guess but but we've come a long way in documentary filmmaking I think and and yet we're at a time when is people are almost dumber than ever and yet <laughs> documentary films have have an incredible appeal. 
Well, I, I don't. I don't agree that people are dumber. I just think that uh, the media, the medium that they choose, maybe is different. It's a different platform. I mean, people maybe aren't reading as many books, but they are watching more documentaries. And those document. I think. I think the thing that you're getting at is that real documentaries, and I mean to separate it from so-called reality shows and that that kind of thing. Yes, yes. But gen- what I would call more genuine documentaries. I think they have a truthfulness to them that resonates with people that is different from feature films. Obviously, feature films are made-up stories and right. fiction, and, and I believe me, I love feature films, and so I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying it's different. Documentaries, uh, if they're made right, they generally have a, a sense of truthfulness, not, not to say objectivity, but a sense of passion, of truthfulness, uh, in the way it was put together. So I think they resonate very strongly with people. You know, a lot of feature films, a lot of Hollywood films, frankly, are formulaic. And it doesn't really resonate with us. It may be an, an entertaining evening at the movies, but how often do those uh, those formula films stay with you? I watched a documentary last night by a friend of mine, and I've been thinking about it all day today, all morning, because it, 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 it just hit me so hard. And I thought, you know, I don't really have that reaction with a lot of formula feature films. Although, not to say that some feature films are phenomenal and they stay with me for days, weeks, or years. So I don't mean to knock feature films. In fact, one of my goals is to produce a feature film next year that I've been working on. But uh, I'm just saying the documentary is different, and uh, if they're made right... They really, they really stick with you. The characters are very moving. Like you said, you got very touched by Nanook and found out he died because that meant you were very invested in his story. And uh, Robert Flaherty, the filmmaker, obviously did a great job of even on, on silent film, you know, of conveying this incredible moving story of this Eskimo family. In a, in a, that's the other thing documentaries do. They take you places that you'd never. You'll never. I doubt you and I, Rex, will ever go up to the North Pole. Uh, right, right. So we were transported by that film, or in my case, like in the uh, film I mentioned, uh, "Forgiving Dr. Mengele," we were transported into this woman's life, uh, Eva Kor, who who was subjected to some of the severe torture uh, that you could imagine at Auschwitz, and how her life evolved from there. She ended up in Israel right at right after the start of the Israeli state. Then she ended up moving to. Indiana, uh, so you know, incredible story. I mean, those I think are—it's like a journey, basically. I think some of the best documentaries take us on a journey to a place or inside the mind of somebody that we would normally never get a chance to meet. Uh, I think that I absolutely agree with you. I think that that was an excellent answer, and I—I um, I want to ask you. You know, uh, your movie has touched many people, as you said. You. You get emails, you know, years after the fact, uh, yes. you know, almost every day regarding it. So it's touching people. Now, apart from the content, and, the, and, and I want to make sure that my question is, is clear, mm-hmm. what are those ingredients that make it uh, compelling and effective and uh, thought-provoking and, and, you know, heart-gripping documentary? How do you, how do, you do that? Because obviously there are documentaries that are not so interesting, and then there's that are interesting. You can have great content and have a bad film, or you can have, you know, a bad, you know, wonderful content and, or, or bad content and have a, a slightly better, well-made film, but not necessarily a good film. So how do, how do you make a good documentary, given what, what you have said? How do you, how do you reach out? What, what are some of the elements that you as a filmmaker, producer, director, 
um, and documentarian do to 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 create that? Yeah, well, I mean, again, I'm speaking from my perspective, and other people might uh-huh. have different thoughts. But I mean, the way I approach it is that um, the documentaries that I seek to make, first of all, have a great story to begin with. And when I met Eva Kor and found out, first of all, her story of having survived Auschwitz was that was a significant story and a huge story. But then you add on to this this extra layer of forgiveness, which was when I first heard about it, was quite mind blowing to me. My reaction, first of all, was forgive the Nazis. Are you crazy? So, but you know, once I I grasped on to what she was talking about, I I realized this would be a this would be a powerful powerful story for a film because it allows us not only to to uh, examine the story of a woman's amazing survival. That's one thing, but add on to this this extra layer of forgiveness and reconciliation. And you really have, I think, a very powerful, not just a story-based film, but a film that, that talks about issues and themes and, uh, you know, mo- it's a very modern uh, uh, concept uh, because we have conflicts going on all over the world and some of them are based on past conflict that can't be resolved. For instance, the situation in Israel v- uh, with the Palestinians. Uh, in fact, there's a scene in the film where we actually went to the West Bank and Eva meets with some Palestinian Arabs. She's Jewish, as you know. So it's a very powerful scene because it gets at the core of where we're at today. It's not just a historical notion. But I guess uh, I'm kind of winding my way around. But I, the other thing I wanted to add was that I really believe in getting in-depth with these stories. Uh, we spent about five years filming this uh, documentary and, you know, granted, it's a luxury, and not everybody can do that, but I do feel like if you can stick with a subject for one or two or three years uh, and, and allow, the, allow the story to unfold as it does organically, in other words, try not to impose your own structure on it, because documentaries can be frustrating to make because you never know where the story is going to go. I always tell students, the basic human impulse is to control things. We all want to control, you know, what we're going to do today and what we're going to do tomorrow. But when you're making a documentary, you often don't have any idea of where the story is going to go. I'll give you an example. In the middle of making the film, Forgiving Dr. Mengele, Eva, uh, just briefly I'll tell you, she, she has a Holocaust museum in Terre Haute, Indiana, where she lives, that she started herself. In the middle of shooting the film... Somebody firebombed that museum. It was a vicious attack. It was almost completely destroyed. It was a hate crime. And uh, obviously by some white supremacists or something. Well, how how, how could I have ever known that something like that would happen in the middle of making the film? So I had to, you know, get my camera and drive down to Terre Haute, Indiana with about five minutes notice and Uh and get down there as quickly as possible and and start filming that part of the story, which became a a big part of the story, obviously. It's those kind of things. I guess you just have to give up a little bit of the the idea of control all the time and stick with a subject for a long time if you can because things, it will give you, I I believe it gives you greater depth. Uh, I remember watching the film Hoop Dreams, which was made by my friend Steve James, and they stuck with that story for five years, filming. And why is that such a great film? I think one of the reasons is they stuck with it for so long, and they showed how these two men evolved over time, over five years. It's, it's a tremendous film and a great story.
Absolutely fascinating. I mean, it is absolutely fascinating. And and the question of control is one that I actually had, and that is, you know, uh, I guess, you know, Michael Moore comes to mind where people, you know, either love him or they hate him, or he's critiqued often on whether they think his information is accurate or that he's manipulating his audiences. And, and you know, I go, well, one, you you can't probably tell the whole truth. It's just not going to happen anymore that we can be truly objective, you know, and, and there may be errors and we're subject to errors. Um, but the manipulating the audience, I mean, in other words, you know, we're choosing the images, we're choosing what parts of a story, we're choosing, you know, I mean, if you had, you know, 5,000 hours of footage and you have to, wheel, you know, <laughs> wheedle it down to an hour and a half or two hours, I mean, that it, it, there is still uh, this... Um, uh, process of telling a story. How do you how do you you relinquish control and and how the story unfolds in real life, but but you control how you tell the story. Correct. I mean, when when it comes. Yeah, to I mean, uh, I think what you're getting at is what people have often said is that documentaries are made in the edit suite, uh, not that you don't. Of course, you have to get all the raw footage and the material, but. Um, but there is some truth to that, that the sense that you end up with, you know, uh, several hundred hours of footage for a one hour film or a 90 minute film. How do you, you know, how do you sort through all that? And that's definitely a challenge. Uh, I, I, my, uh, working method is basically I have a couple different editors that I work with who are, who are specifically documentary editors. In other words, they don't edit feature films, they don't edit TV commercials, they just edit documentaries, and they're very good at it. It's a very specific form, and it requires a very specific talent to to edit those type of films. Um, it's always a challenge, though, when you end up with so much material, and you know you've got to get it down to about 90 minutes. You know, sometimes you, you don't even know where to start. So uh, it, it's difficult. Um, regarding Michael Moore... I always tell people, in my opinion, Michael Moore is a genre unto himself. That I'm not sure his films are true documentaries, but uh, I, w I love his. I personally love his films, and I think he's done a great service in some ways. Of, of, of he's sort of an agitator, basically, and he agitates our society to think about different issues such as health care or gun laws or things like that. And I think we need people like him. He also, of course, does it in a very humorous way. That's why. I think he's sort of a unique case in America. I mean, there's there's nobody else like Michael Moore that can approach a subject with a sense of humor and also make the point. Is he manipulating the truth? Probably. But, I mean, that's you just sort of accept that because, as I said, he, he's a genre unto himself. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's a sort of a different case. I agree. But, and uh, and, and I, I think the whole art of any kind of filmmaking Mm -hmm. is manipulating you know i mean it is manipulating the truth in in some fashion it's telling an aspect of a story and i don't i i find no fault in that i would find great fault if if i watched a documentary and i didn't learn that you know the majority of the information contained therein was just absolutely false but uh you know as as far as filmmakers when you when you when you go to look at you know this woman who's got uh, undergone an incredible experience and and continues to to this day kind of thing mm -hmm. or or any of the subjects in your movies, uh, you've got to have a voice. You, you know, you've got to have a, a, an opinion or a position, I think, in order to make it effective. That's right. I mean, people, my film teachers used to tell me, you know, just even by your decision of where you're setting up your camera, 
to film a scene for a documentary, even the, I mean that that decision uh, starts the long process of of many decisions you'll make, which are all subjective decisions. Do I want to shoot it close up or a wide shot? Well, that that decision right there has already probably dictated in some ways uh, how the film will be presented and what you choose to focus on, what you choose not to focus on. Editing obviously is is very uh, much a subjective choice. Uh, and so you just have to embrace that. I, you know, I, I, I try to say I'm, I, I think I'm being truthful in presenting the material I'm doing in my documentaries. However, I don't pretend that it's objective. I always say it's, it's, it's definitely coming from my point of view. But I've been careful over the, over the years not to hit people over the head. I don't think it does any good to make a film that's, that's just you know, hammering away at people uh, hitting them over the head over and over again. I don't think anybody watches them. The last three films I've made, I'm proud of the fact that there's no narrator. There's no voiceover in the last three films, and that was sort of a goal I, I've been working towards for years, is how do I make a, a documentary and basically eliminate the narration. So the, the characters who are in the film are their own, in a sense, narrators. And I think there's a there's a little more, um, I don't know, truthfulness to that approach. I'm not saying I would use it for every film I, I would make. Some films, I think, kind of require narration, but um, that's that's something I've been I've been striving for for a long time. Oh, I'd rather hear the, I'd rather hear the par the characters talk than me writing narration about what I think the audience should be thinking at this moment such an excellent, excellent point. I, I'm truly fascinated by all of this stuff. I'm going to take a short break, and then we'll come back and, uh, and continue. I just uh, take a break long enough to say you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, the official website. Address is rexsikes.com. And again, we appreciate all your comments and support about blogs and articles and conversations. And please feel free to email me through the website your questions for upcoming guests. Put the name of the guest and the uh, subject header and the question in the body of the text. Or if you hear about something coming up before I do, contact me right away. Lead, leave me enough lead time to be able to investigate it and get it up on uh, the website in a timely fashion. And uh, if you've got people are sending me books and tapes and DVDs and things to look at and review or products, uh, use the contact information there at the website as well. It's on the contact page, and I sure appreciate it. And continue to uh, promote and, and, and pass along um, these interviews and these blogs to your friends and your contacts. Uh, I'm back with uh, Bob Hercules. And, um, Bob, you, uh, you've said so many really fascinating and important things. Uh, if you can, just uh, continue a little bit on the difference in documentary editing uh, versus feature film editing. You, you, to, to the extent that you said you've got you know, documentary filmmakers, that's what they do. They don't edit fe uh, features, and it's a very different kind of process what uh, can you give us what some of those elements are or how they how they approach that task with you you as a director and editor working with them a director and producer working with them yeah i mean uh well i mean feature films uh and i believe me i i admire feature film editors as well i don't mean to knock them sure. it's, a, it's a very uh tremendous skill but you know when you're doing a feature film you're working from a script and uh it's so it's a different type of uh type of an editing procedure you're you're basically following the script i mean maybe there's times when you're you're improvising a little bit or you're rearranging scenes or things like that but basically you're following a script that was written and that was pretty much uh you know covered by the actors and it, your choices there then are do i go to a close up here do i go to the wide shot do i go to a cover shot you know etc 
when you're working on documentaries as an editor, uh, there, there often is no script unless you're doing more of a historical documentary. But what I'm talking about are modern documentaries that are complicated, multi-layered. They don't necessarily have a script at all. Like uh, Forgiving Dr. Mengele or you know the new film I just finished about uh, uh, Mike Flager called Radical Disciple. There's no script. Uh, there's no narration. So where do you start? So uh, you basically, you know, you're just you're sorting through all that footage over and over again until you kind of absorb it, and then you start to uh, between myself, the director, and my and my editor, we start to to discuss a plan of action of where are we going to start, how do we get into the story, where does the story go from here, and then frankly, we're constantly uh adjusting that as we go we're sometimes we're rearranging whole scenes we're moving scene 1 over to scene you know 5 and swapping it i mean i remember when we we did a rough cut screening of forgiving dr mengele back in 2005 i think to the independent feature project ifp and uh, a bunch of people and the the thought that came out of it was uh you know what uh, uh these the, the opening uh, it was too long, and you know, there's a lot of comments that came out of these rough cut screenings that we changed the film significantly. That's one method I use: is I, after I finish a rough cut, and I think a lot of people work this way, and I would advise it for younger filmmakers: show your rough cut to a select group of people, get their feedback, and decide, you know, does it make sense or not, and it might affect the uh, the way your film is being uh, edited because. I think the problem with making films is we get too close to the material. You know, we're sitting there watching it day after day after day over and over and over again. We lose our perspective on what the story is and uh, some of the details of the story we sort of take for granted. So that's why it's healthy, I think, to show it to a group of people and get their feedback because they they may surprise you with their comments. You may have left off left out you know huge chunks of information that you didn't that you assume people knew but they didn't things like that well i i'm going to venture my opinion which i've done all along but uh mm-hmm. um no i i love that and i love what you said but i also think that you know the fact that it's a film whether it's theatrical or documentary i mean there are a variety of different forms of film um one of the things that I think any filmmaker would want to do, I mean, there's those who just simply want to inform and they don't maybe care how the information is passed along. And just like there are, and forgive me, and I'm not equating this with any particular person, but there are speakers out there who are fascinating and riveting speakers who talk and they pass their information along and you listen and you're moved. Uh, and it may not be moved to the point of action, but you're moved by getting the information and, you, and the time went by and you went, that was, that was fun, that was worth it, and I learned something. And mm-hmm. then there are those who, who, and we've all had them in college, where they dispense the information and you fell asleep and you were bored and you weren't interested. <laughs> and it, I think that filmmaking, is the prerequisite to filmmaking almost is that it be entertaining or it be intriguing or that it be captivating or that it be riveting, that it, that it provides something for me to invest my time and effort and energy in, in going from the beginning to the end. I, you know, it, so if a filmmaker can make their story, whether they're a feature filmmaker or a documentary filmmaker, compelling to watch I, I you know i am all for that i don't i don't i don't have any issues with that i think that's that's incredible i think that it's amazing you know what you did when you when you um described the difference of how you know you're working with this footage and how you how you put the story together 
you know, and, and what you would choose and how you would choose and where you put the camera and how you cut and what, uh, that the story unfolds right there as opposed to following something that you've... you've, you've right. You'd, I, I try not to, I, as I said before, I try not to impose my own right. worldview on uh, these stories. I think it's it's important to let the stories unfold organically and to try not to impose too much on it. Obviously, you're doing interviews and things like that, and right. and uh, the interviews come inevitably come out of your own worldview. But, I mean, I, I, I try to... I try to clear myself out of the way so the story itself emerges as much as possible. The other thing I'll say is when, while we are shooting, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was this idea of a term called coverage, which we use in documentaries. It's very important when you're filming a documentary, in my opinion, to cover uh, a scene from many different angles. It's sort of like doing a feature film where you have a master shot, close-up, reverse shot, reaction shot, etc. In documentaries, as much as I can, if we're filming a meeting or we're filming a scene uh, between uh, three people or something, I try to, and the, my cameramen who work with me know I demand this, so they already understand this, that I want to get different angles on things. I want to get the content, of course, but I also, at points where the discussion maybe isn't as interesting, I want, the, I want to come around and get some reaction shots, I want to get a wide shot, I want to get a establishing shot, I want to get a shot of the neighborhood, all those things, because when I get back to editing, uh, I, 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 one of the worst feelings is the editor looks at me and she, she said in most of my, my, uh, my, the editor I work with right now, Melissa Stern, she'll look at me and she'll say, you didn't do it, you know, you didn't give me much to work with. And that's a, that's a sinking feeling that you don't want to have. So I try to get, I try to encourage, I try to so-called direct and the word director in documentary is, a, is very different from feature films, but I try to direct the cameraman to give me coverage, to give me different angles, give me different shots. Think about editing. I always tell camera people who are shooting documentaries, spend some time yourself in an edit suite of an editor editing your own footage and see if you're satisfied. Because if you're not satisfied, if the editor is frustrated, then you know what you got to go back to work. I mean, you got to you got to do better. You got to give them more material. Uh, so I think it's very important for camera people, especially in the documentary world, but probably also in feature films, to spend some time in the edit suite with the editor. You'll learn a lot. Oh, that's awesome advice. That really is, and mm -hmm. and uh, probably a very quick learning you could have too because you know exactly mm -hmm. what you didn't provide and what you need to provide and what you need to do the next time and then and then it's up to whether or not you do it the next time uh that's awesome um uh, so how well let me i'll ask you first i'm going to ask you you know can you you talked about interviewing the subjects can you can you discuss your interviewing technique yeah i, I mean for me it's pretty simple uh i have over the years, try to, um, I call it sort of a Zen approach, where when I'm doing an interview with somebody, I try to block out all the chatter in my mind, all the distractions that we as humans have rolling around in our heads. I try to get into a Zen mode when I sit down with somebody and focus only on what they are saying and get rid of all the crap in my mind. Uh, the reason is that I think interviews are the best interviews are ones that are improvisational that you may come with a set of questions. However, 
once the interview go, gets going, the interview subject often reveals things that you didn't know about and might take it in a different direction, but a more interesting direction. If you can really, really listen, truly listen, then I often tell people the end of somebody's answer can often be the next question for you, if you're listening. I think a problem is a lot of interviewers these days uh, are distracted. They don't listen as well as they should. So I've tried to actually, um, you know, build my skill. It's sort of like, you know, you go to the gym and work out and work on your body. Well, I try to actually consciously work on my interviewing skills as a as a real, uh, you know, set of exercises, a real skill to have. Uh, listening is sort of a, a gradually becoming sort of a lost art form. And uh, I, I'm sorry, you know, but the real great documentary filmmakers are great at that, you know. Uh, again, excellent advice and 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 uh, stuff that we all need to put into practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just, I think, in filmmaking, but it, it works well in real life. I, I think, I think. Absolutely. Uh, you know, anyone couldn't argue too much with that. Um, so, when you're interviewing, you know, a subject, I mean, like maybe we could go back to um, the woman in Forgiving Dr. Mangula. Mm-hmm. How do you? What you just. How, how does it? How does that unfold? You you meet. You say, "Tell me your story." Or I mean, how do you? How do you? How do you initiate a process? I mean, obviously, it's probably different with a lot of different people. But do you have your own kind of formula for how you get uh, into the person? How how you get things moving? Uh, well, I think it. A lot of it has to do with building trust with characters, and I think a lot of documentary filmmakers would tell you the same thing that we need to build trust with our main characters. Uh, and sometimes that means meeting with them the first few times without a camera. So you just, you know, I met with Eva Core several times before I started shooting the film. I just went down to Terre Haute, Indiana, where she lives, and met with her and talked to her, and I went to some events where she was speaking and went to her museum and just hung out with her to start to build this level of trust so she could trust me as a filmmaker, as a person that she was trusting, basically, to tell her story. And, of course, in her case, it was a very um, uh, very sensitive story of, uh, you know, what had happened to her in the past and this idea of forgiveness, which is very controversial, and she's, she's, very, she's criticized for it a lot. So, you know, it was a, there, there had to be a good level of trust built up. And so then you start the process of, uh, you know, I did many interviews with Eva during the, course of that film because I you know I would reveal things uh, it was sort of I always tell people making that film was sort of like peeling an onion that you start off with uh, the the outside of the onion uh, and then you get further and further in and uh, that's kind of how the film unfolds we learn more and more about her as the film unfolds and frankly I learned more and more about her as we made the film I, I, I believe strongly in doing even short interviews sometimes with people right after some event has happened. We're working on a new film right now about a famous uh, choreographer named Bill T. Jones. He's from New York, and he's a, but he's a controversial figure because he's a very political uh, dance creator, um, and uh, and he's a very intellectual person. Uh, you don't just throw out softball questions to Bill. And so um, what I tried to do in this film was every time there was a, uh, a big moment in his life that we were filming, a premiere of something or, uh, you know, a, 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 
something happened. I would try to do a little debriefing interview with Bill, maybe just ask three or four questions, very simple, right on the spot, because I also feel it's good to get people's reaction to events at that moment and not just wait, not wait for two weeks and come back to him. Hey, Bill, remember what happened two weeks ago? You know, you won't have the same intensity. You won't have the same emotion. And so uh, that's, that's a, you know, that's another technique that I, I, not that I developed, that people have been doing this for years, but I, I believe it's, it's effective. Awesome. So when it comes to building this trust and rapport, is there anything that you specifically do to help gain their trust, or is it just a process of getting together with them and, and, and letting them get to know you and, and that all unfold, or, or do you have a, a specific approach that, that you would recommend? Well, in my case, I show them a couple other films that I've made. That's one uh-huh. thing, because I think if they see the films, they see that I'm not, I'm not trying to exploit subjects um, you know, I'm not making, uh, you know, sort of reality type exploitative shows, but I'm making, you know, what I consider are serious documentaries, which take years to make. And there's a, there's, a, as I said, a level of truth in the documentaries that I think, um, resonate with people. So I try to show that if they agree to watch them, I try to show them a couple films that I've made Number one, just so they understand where you know where I come from as a filmmaker, and they understand that I'm taking this subject seriously. I'm not out to exploit them because that's important to know. You know, you often come into a subject, and there's been other filmmakers that have been on this path before you, and some of them, frankly, have not served you so well because they've done. Th- I made a, a film a lot uh, many years ago about Native American history, and I realized that the uh, American Indians that I was talking to were somewhat skittish. And I didn't really know why until I I, I talked to them a little further and I realized there was another filmmaker who had come to them a year or so earlier and had really uh, exploited their story. And I thought, oh, great, this guy has basically screwed, you know, my attempt to get a relationship with these people. So, you know, you're dealing with that as well. There's a lot of, there can sometimes be mistrust about the media and and well-founded. Because what's what's on TV these days is a lot of garbage. Oh, absolutely. And and if I can extrapolate that, I mean, we have you know location managers who come on or other filmmakers who 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 stress how important it is for filmmakers and in this case all filmmakers to be respect be respectful of the process and the people so that future filmmakers or future future location you know mm-hmm. scouts and things like that have opportunity to to you know find and and, and uh, film or or work with these resources these people in these places um, to you know if it's if it's solely um, you know I'm going to get in and get out and and do whatever I can to get my thing done and and without regard to the subject of the film or the, the place that you're using and things like that a lot of bridges are burned and it makes it tougher for other filmmakers so uh, an excellent point that you make there you know we have literally about uh, 11 minutes 10 minutes left actually and I've got a lot of questions for you. I want to first say, do you have a website people can go to? Yes, uh, my website is www.mediaprocess.com. That's the website for my production company that I co-own with Keith Walker. Uh, and we've, this is actually our 25th year in business, so we're celebrating our 25-year anniversary. Congratulations. This year. Awesome. So we just, re, we just completely redesigned the website. We just launched it uh, a week ago. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool website. It has a lot of content in it. It's, it's a, we spent a lot of time on that website. So 
I think people will enjoy going to it. It has clips from all our independent films and from our commercial work, and, you know, it's it's pretty rich. Awesome. And the name again or the site address again it's is? Me- mediaprocess.com. Mediaprocess.com. Excellent, mm-hmm. excellent. Well, there's a lot more that I'd, I want to ask you, and, and we are running out of time. And um, so, you know, I hope you'll come back and we can continue this. I'd love to come back. Yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. That's fantastic. I want I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about um, a good man, the, the Bill T. Uh-huh. Jones project that you're working uh-huh. on. You know, and uh, and and maybe you could discuss that a little bit further. But but also, um, you're an independent filmmaker. Why is it important for you to be an independent filmmaker? Well, that's a good question. Um, for me, I value my independence. Uh, I, I can't think of the right word, very strongly. I'm very uh, uh, passionate about the idea of having independence. So, it, you know, it's a struggle because I have to raise money for each of these films I've made. Um, in other words, I'm not taking money from Discovery Channel or from, you know, Cable Network or something. We're really having to raise the money for each of these films uh, um, for, uh, separately and from many different sources. So we a long time ago I set up a not-for-profit corporation which allows me to raise money from foundations as well. So we get government grants, foundation grants, individual donations, you know, anything we can get to raise money for these films. The beauty is that once you raise the, you know, if you raise the money from these sources, they don't have any say or control over the content. So these films that we're making are truly independent. They're not there's not some executive producer lording over it, telling you to cut this out or this is too controversial or, you know. Um, so the films stand or fall based on what we did. Um, and that's the way I prefer to work. Uh, granted, it's not an easy road, but um, I've been able to do it for all these years and somehow I've been able to make it work. So um, it's important to me to be independent like that. Now, on the other hand, I will say, just to clarify things, I'm also a commercial filmmaker, and I make a living making TV commercials and, you know, corporate videos and educational videos for hire, and that's that's where, I, you know, I have to be honest, about 80% of my time is involved in that because I have to make a living, and I enjoy those films too, but the the, the independent films that we've been discussing are truly independent. Uh, again, that's that's awesome, and and that is fascinating. And I had asked you about Bill T. Jones, and and you had talked a little bit about him before, and about him being sharp. And uh, so, could you just tell us a, a bit more about uh, maybe the story, uh, the story, or aspects of the documentary? Yeah, the story. We're working on a film called A Good Man, and it's about Bill T. Jones, the the famous choreographer from New York. I'm doing it as a co-production with Cartemquin Films, uh, also in Chicago, and they are the, the company that made Hoop Dreams, as a matter of fact, who I alluded to. Uh, so it's a, it's a fantastic collaboration between my company and Cartemquin to, to uh, make this film. We've been working on the film for three years now, and it's a story of how Bill was commissioned, believe it or not, to do a dance piece about Abraham Lincoln, 2009 was the bicentennial of Lincoln's birth, and Ravinia Festival, which is a, a, a theater here in Chicago, an outdoor theater, wanted to uh, uh, make a big splash with the Lincoln Bicentennial, and frankly, uh, courted controversy by by commissioning Bill to do a piece about Lincoln. Uh, Bill is an African-American 
choreographer who's who's very political and uh he's very edgy and so his piece uh brings up a lot of issues slavery race relations uh you know the media um obama you know obama's election happened during the middle of making this so it's a it's much more than a piece about dance it's really a piece about the artistic process we followed the, uh the process of making this piece from day 1 all the way to the premiere which was this past uh September and uh so it was a great opportunity for me to follow something from the very beginning to the end it's i don't think i've i've really ever had a chance to do that before it's been a, it's going to be a great film i mean bill is a fascinating unbelievably charismatic character um it's i think it's going to be a tremendous film i'm very excited about it when when you have so many different, um, I guess so, so many potentially different controversies <laughs> raging around one in, individual, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Bill or or in uh, the Mengele movie, the um, you know where where I mean not only should she have to deal with what happened many years ago, but the, the white supremacists or, or the Palestinian, you mentioned, you know, going to Palestine and the different kinds. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, how do you sift through that? I mean, how do you as a, as a, as the documenter um, and, and your editors and how do you, how do you go look at what's happening here? There's so many different things going on or there's so, so many different, uh, um, it's like the so many different topic points, I guess, or or areas that you could diverge in. How do you how do you how do you how do you shape it without shaping it? When you say you mm-hmm. you, you let it unfold, how how do you you know what I mean? I guess I guess it's kind of like you shoot hundreds of hours of film. We talked about this before, and now you're trying to put it in this 90 minute format. Um, well, on the who, on ahead. the production side, you you know, on the production side, you try to be there as much as you can and try to film as much as you can because you never know when something's going to happen. It's always like the phrase, the classic phrase, trying to catch lightning in a bottle. You're trying to be there filming when some... I'm sorry? I said, no, that was the app. That was kind of what I was trying to say is how do you you get lightning in a bottle? Yeah, well, it's, 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 uh, it's tedious because it's arduous because you basically have to be filming. You have to be there a lot filming a lot you're burning through a lot of uh tape uh and um you know you're hoping for a few moments here and there of each day of filming that are that are going to be priceless um but then on the on the uh editing side of course you have all these all these great moments and all these great interviews and all these great stories you have to start to organize it either one way or the other either a, chronolo- a chronological Ordering, or in our case of the Bill T. Jones film, we're kind of, I think we're we're moving towards a thematic organizational structure as opposed to a chronological. So we're not going to tell the traditional film of, you know, uh, first they got the commission and then they did the rehearsal and then they, you know, worked toward the premiere. We've actually tried to make our task harder and more complicated, but I think it'll serve the film better to to create a structure. That's more thematic and not as not strictly uh, chronological. So you do eventually you have to come up with some strategy for editing this footage because you're right it's just it can be overwhelming. It's hundreds of hours of footage. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, to me it seems just absolutely mind-boggling in some ways of of you know how you 
allow your character to have a voice when you've got so much on them. You know, it's just right. It, you know, it's just like wow. How do you know? In the selection process that goes into that to 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 create that. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating. I, we we literally have less than two minutes, and there's a lot more. Um, uh, I want you to be able, when you come back. We'll talk about your feature film. I want to talk to you more about your your own character motivation in your movies and 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 and, and different uh, aspects of what we touched on today, and go further into that. Um, but just lastly, maybe in, in the next minute or so, and it doesn't do you justice, and we can pick it up next time. Um, how what is what are your thoughts on the state of independent filmmaking these days? Well, good and bad. I mean, the money is uh, worse uh, for us because, like any arts uh, people, like anybody involved in the arts in America right now, the recession has taken a devastating toll on all arts organizations and, and independent filmmakers. So the fundraising has gotten worse. The plus side, the equipment, the technology has gotten so much better, so much cheaper, that I always tell students, really, there's no excuse for you not to get out there and make your own film because you can edit on a laptop, you can shoot on a, you know, uh, uh, you know, super cheap uh, uh, camcorder. Um, it, you know, things have come way down in price. It makes it more accessible to people. There's more and more people making documentaries and making films. And uh, that, that I think, is a great trend. Unfortunately, it has a sort of a negative impact of flooding the market with sometimes less than stellar films. So um, there's a trade-off with that as well. But I think it's a great, I mean, despite the economy, I still think it's a great uh, time to be a filmmaker because it's, it's a growing industry um, as opposed to a contracting industry like a lot of other things in America. And people always need to tell stories. There's always great stories out there, and there always will be. So, I mean, it's sort of an unlimited palette that you can explore. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, Bob, I want to say thank you so much for being here. I have learned a lot, and I'm sure that the listeners have too. I really appreciate uh, um, taking a look at documentary filmmaking and a look at some of your films, and uh, and I want to come back and do that. And what we'll do for the listeners, we'll announce that both you know, on the air and uh, in the blogs uh, as soon as we have scheduled a, a return time for you. But I sure, again, appreciate it, and thank you so much, and I wish you a fabulous day and weekend. Thank, thank you, Rex. It's been a great pleasure to be on your show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, and you'll be back again soon then. Yes, uh, right. Thanks so much. Uh, again, Bob Hercules, uh, it was a pleasure to have Bob here, and, and I mean it. I, I've learned a lot about documentary film. I, I don't know that much. I do enjoy going to documentaries and, and seeing them, but I don't know that much about the process, and so this is uh, very illuminating for me, and I look for, forward to uh, exploring it more with Bob. Again, you've been listening to Rex Sykes' Movie Beat. The podcasts are available at iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and tell your friends that they can subscribe. And then each and every time live, uh, iTunes you know, feeds it into the list, and, and you can have it at your fingertips, at your phone, your touch, your computer, or whatever electronic device um, that you may uh, have available to you. Again, continue to spread the news far and wide about Movie Beat. Go ahead, retweet, and uh, Facebook and MySpace, uh, all of my fantastic guests. And um, keep in mind that there are many exciting guests coming up in the near future. Uh, we've got one coming up very shortly. Uh, so go to the blog and find out who's coming up in the, in the days and weeks to come. And uh, everybody take care. Have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. 
And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.